here we are. Let's, uh, let's get started with a, a prayer this morning. Dear Lord God, as we begin a new year, our first worship here, we ask, Father, that you would bless us. Bless us, first of all, Father, that we may be your people and represent you well in this place, that our worship, Father, will be acceptable to you, and that all things that happen and all things that come to pass will be guided by you. Bless us this morning and give us an understanding of the scripture before us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to welcome everybody here to the brand new year, 2021. A good thing to say occasionally. Uh, and to the people in the cars, it's good to have you out there as well. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> so, I can tell you this from my own perspective. No one expected 2020, okay? And I think the best way for us to look at 2020 is like this. In a rear view mirror, okay? Uh, normally on the first Sunday of the new year, in the, at least in the past several years, what we've done is a bit of a glance back to the last year and see what we did, what we accomplished, where we have been and where we've gone. And then we talked about what we were going to do, what our plans were. But 2020 wasn't normal. Uh, in fact, most of us didn't know how to respond uh, day to day to some of the things that took place. Uh, in fact, when we started this, I think the words we said were, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. Meanwhile, there's a, a fire burning in our backyard. We didn't know what to do or how to respond. We were caught unaware. This morning, I want to use uh, the book of Habakkuk as a back frame, sort of to speak, about how to look at uh, last year and then how also to get a perspective on how we should view this year. Habakkuk, an interesting book, okay? There we go. Um, it's an Old Testament book tucked between the prophecy of Nahum and the book of Zephaniah. It's a Babylonian era text, okay? That tells you a lot right there. Uh, it's a very small but powerful three-chapter book. Two chapters of dialogue between the writer, Habakkuk, and God and one chapter of prayer. And we're going to focus this morning on that third chapter, the chapter of prayer, uh, as we look at uh, what has gone in the past and what's going to come forward. But the Habakkuk himself is unknown. By most scholars, at least, they say that they don't, he doesn't really refer anywhere in any place in other books. But uh, he's referred to quite often in the New Testament. We have a re uh, references to him in Acts, Revelation, Hebrews, Galatians, Luke, and Philippians. So what's his story? Well, it's a very interesting story. It's like a little drama in a lot of ways. Uh, Habakkuk argues with God, which the prophets often do. Okay, they have questions, they have concerns, but he... Uh, uh, argues in a very interesting way. He complains, okay? He complains. What's he complaining about? Corruption in Judah 
and injustice in Judah. Let's read the first couple of verses uh, out of chapter 1 just to get a reference for where we are. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you, violence, which you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. That's, how, that's his complaint. He's talking about his own people, the nation of Judah. God's reply, we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to paraphrase really, really quickly. God says, I'm on it. Get ready for shock and awe from Babylon. <laughs> uh, I don't think that was the expected response that Habakkuk had. So he complains one more time to God, beginning in verse 12 of the first chapter. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute justice, to judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And he is talking about Babylon swallowing up Judah at this point. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks and catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net and destroying nations without mercy? Boy, he's got a really harsh view of Babylon. Difficult, but the complaint doesn't end there. Listen to how he finishes up his tirade. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his complaint. So you see this image now of, I would call him an arrogant prophet. Standing on the wall, hands on his hips, I'm going to watch and see what God has to say to me, because I'll fix him. I don't like the answer I'm getting. And God's answer comes up in a very interesting way. He says, in my time, I will do it. Wait for it. And then he says something interesting, which if you don't do a little research, you might miss. But he says, I will punish Judah with Babylon, and Babylon will be laid low when I am done. Okay, 
nobody is going to be left unpunished. And you can see parallels here as the scripture is laid out to passages in Genesis. So the wording is such that as Habakkuk hears God speaking, he begins to understand something he didn't understand before. And that is, not only is Judah corrupt and unjust, but that corruption and injustice, God sees very clearly and will take it on. And there's a parallel between that and Babylon. Judah and Babylon are not that far apart. And now Habakkuk understands something. And then there's this little single verse mic drop moment. In verse 20, chapter 2, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Kind of like a slap in the face to Habakkuk. God is doing what he's going to do, back off. So let's get into the, uh, the chapter I really want to look at today, the chapter we're going to concentrate on. Uh, this is, well, let's, let's just go ahead and read it. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigayanoth, who nobody knows what that means, lots of speculation. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And essentially, what Habakkuk is doing is he's recognizing his place before God. And then he concedes that, in fact, you are going to have your wrath, but nonetheless be merciful. Please be kind to your people in spite of their waywardness. And then from verses 3 through 15, there's a bit of, a, I don't know how to describe it, kind of an homage to God's power. So let's read through that because there's a lot of things to see there. Starting in verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Big picture. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed in his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Just a look makes the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your chariots to victory? So we don't see a picture here of specific destruction. We see the image in his prayer of acknowledging God and his power. You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. 
Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. And in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. This lays a foundation to take a look and recognize that we have felt what Habakkuk is feeling. 2020, we found that the culture around us, the events around us, the days and times around us affected everything about who we are and who we could be. And that means it affected the church. In March, everything changed. The pandemic started. There were shortages of silly things like toilet paper, right? And rice, what's that all about? Suddenly, we're all cooking at home. Baking goods were in short supply. And we needed to pivot. We needed to do something different. And so the church did. We started recording sermons on YouTube. So at least we could get that portion of it. We started doing Zoom calls so we could share the Lord's Supper. We couldn't meet together. We didn't know. We weren't aware enough, and we didn't have enough information to do something else. And in Zoom groups, we had prayers meeting. We had prayer groups going. We had uh, elder meetings taking place over Zoom. These were things that just had to happen at the time. And yet it was totally different. In our home lives, things changed also. We were in isolation of a sort. We were cocooned in our homes from the end of the winter through the spring for the most part. We learned a whole bunch of things we didn't want to learn, like how to wear masks in public. Who wants to learn that? But we did. We also learned how to wash and disinfect our hands. Not that we weren't before, but now we really knew how to do that. And then we learned how to be distant socially from people. We separated ourselves. And it's sad that we had to do that, but we did. We did. Rough year. Another thing that changed was some of the words and phrasings that we used. Our diction became slightly different than it had. Coronavirus and COVID-19 common in conversation suddenly. Everything was unprecedented now. Events that were happening were unforgettable. We learned to use the word pandemic with ease. We talked about quarantines, lockdowns. We talked about staying at home and wearing your mask and wash your hands. And suddenly the people that didn't do those things at the time we thought they should were vilified. We learned also the importance of what we called essential workers or what were called essential workers. And they weren't the movie stars, the politicians, and the TV. We learned what they, who they really were. We learned about distance learning, which nobody really wanted to know about, but we did anyway. And then Zoom, oh, Zoom. Well, we learned to despise Zoom calls. 
uh, I watched a little video, Ruth and I watched a little video on Facebook, I believe. A child is describing having to go to school in kindergarten on Zoom. She called it Poopy Zoom. <laughs> and I agree with her on that. <laughs> we learned some new words, or at least new uh, meanings of words as well. Blur's Day. Did you hear, have you heard that one yet? Blur's Day? I thought that was a good one. That's that fuzzing merging of time since the pandemic that shut so much of the world down, making it difficult to determine what day of the week it is. It's Blur's Day, I don't know. It could be Tuesday, maybe it's Thursday, I don't know. We learned also that a bubble is not exactly what we thought it was. A bubble is the thing, the people, the place, the situation that we can relate to each other in safely. We were afraid, we were concerned. Doom scroll, what a great word that is. Oh, it just sounds terrifying, isn't it? Doom scroll is that horrible, addictive thing that happens when you wade through a bunch of bad news on your phone. You know, you take your thumb and you push all those horrible <laughs> news stories up. We became addicted to those things too, oftentimes right before bed. Help us sleep, right, at night? Doom scroll, that sounds terrible. Uh, and social distancing. Social distancing became a real thing. Uh, and the idea there, of course, was very good, very important, that we were trying to prevent a communicable disease, a disease that would move from person to person from passing that way. And the thing that, uh, that I think we need to think about on all of these things is that uh, as terrifying as they sound, we shouldn't be afraid. Over and over in the Bible, we are told that we should do the things that we need to do, but we should not do them out of fear or fearfully. God didn't make us this way. We do the things we need to do out of respect sometimes for people. We do the things we do because we are asked to do them by people who know more than we do. But we shouldn't shirk back. We shouldn't find ourselves shaking in fear every time somebody accidentally touches us. That's not a good way to live. We know who we are, and we know where we are going as people of faith. That is what counts. The other word we picked up <laughs> was super spreader. Anytime you meet with a bunch of people without your mask on, you're inviting a super spreader event. Woohoo. So, what did we do as a church? Well, we learned how to pivot, even more than we had to begin with as time went on. We learned that we could meet on the parking lot when the days were nice, relatively nice. We learned when the ground dried up behind the building that we could meet out in the park by the trees. These are things that we had never known before, right? Did we know we could do this? Well, not really. But we learned, and people did something else that I think is very important. People really, in the congregation, really tried to stay in touch. We saw an outpouring of people making that real effort to talk to each other, to check up on people, to communicate in some way 
so that people knew that there were others thinking about them. And of course, whenever there's a disaster of any sort, there was a gush of prayer. Prayer was going on day and night, and you know that it made a difference. And I think another thing that happened that we began doing was we asked these questions. Are you okay? And how are you doing? And unlike pre-pandemic times, we really wanted to know. We meant what we said. As we changed with all these things that were going on around us, as we tried to do the things that were right, as we tried to accomplish what God has asked us to do uh, in this time, in this place, we quickly learned something that was important, and that was that you can only act on what you know. We can't act on information we don't have. And so sometimes we made decisions that were probably not the best, but they were the best at the time that we could make so we could get on and move on. Over the summer, COVID continued. We all had thought it would be over in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and it didn't. It didn't stop. And then something else happened. The election, which had been kind of sitting in the background, became forefront. And I think it created one of the more divisive times in our time. People were angry. People were struggling. People were, were bad, <laughs> very bad to each other in so many ways, even in the church. And I heard from a minister of a church in North Carolina that actually split because of differences in political opinion. And I can tell you right now that should never happen in God's church. If your politics mean that you are unable to worship with other people, you've got a real problem and you need to work it out with God. But you do not work it out by splitting a church. God will take care of you for that. And it will not be pretty. At the same time, we were confronted with something that we hadn't had for a while. And it just added to the melange of a mess that we were in. There was social unrest on the issues of race. Marches were going on, protests were taking place, riots in some places. There were confrontations that were not pretty at all. They were very ugly. And this only added, added to the turmoil of the pandemic. Very, very difficult. Not pretty. In the fall, we had devastating wildfires all up and down the west coast. The uh, Mackenzie Valley got destroyed by fire. People evacuated their homes. The Heralds lost their home. And it took weeks for the air to clear up again. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired. I'm tired. I find myself at times unduly stressed, and I want to be normal again. We are famished for the social interactions with our peers, family, and friends without the threat of infecting 
or being infected by somebody. We are starving for it. It's been a difficult time, and we have to acknowledge that. If we don't, and if we pretend like everything is okay, I'm fine, we're all fine, everything's fine, then the struggle will continue in a deeper, a deeper way. So how does Habakkuk respond? How does Habakkuk put together what God has done when he acknowledges the power? We find in verse 16 of chapter 3, starting there, he says this, I heard, I heard God, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. Habakkuk's response, be patient. Wait for God's time. His attitude has changed now from not the old woe is me, help me, help me, help me, but he is now a prophet of great joy. And he's determined that he's going to have that joy and share it. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like that of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. He acknowledges the Lord God, the sovereign king. And he now knows that God is going to do what he needs to do. So what does all this have to do with us? Well, we have been going through this tough time. We have made it thus far. We've gotten ourselves into a new year. And some people would tell you, well, the coming of all this, all these things coming together like this is a divine event. It is God showing his retribution on the earth. Well, I don't know. Is it? I don't know. But everyone, everywhere has been shaken. Even if we look at some really simple statistics, we can see that there are problems that are going and ongoing right now. Here in the U.S., according to numbers I read this morning, over 350,000 people have died of this virus. And in the church itself, no one has died here we've had people that have had COVID and recovered. I know of several ministers whose families have been down for weeks after dealing with this who have recovered. And the stress that we feel is real. It is as though we have been through a very traumatic event. And I want to ask, are you okay? How are you doing? The bad news isn't over. 
That's not good, is it? A recent Barna Group study shows that 22% of unchurched of churched adults have stopped going to in-person or digital church. 22%. Uh, this is a chart that's a little hard to read because of uh, the lo- amount of information, but I'll try to, I'll try to explain it. I'm going to read from the article that I found this in, uh, The New Exodus, Four Reasons So Many People, Including Christians, Have Suddenly Left the Church by Kerry Newhoff. And he writes this, The Barna Group polled the general population practicing Christians and churched adults about their attendance patterns. The main distinction between practicing Christians and churched adults was whether they considered themselves regular church attenders. As you can see from the chart, in 2019, only 14% of all U.S. adults said they never went to church. So the top group of three right there, you can see 14% never, never went to church, okay, out of the total population, according to this poll. In 2020, that number jumped to 53%. In the bottom section, pandemic attendance down here, All U.S. adults, 53% did not go to church at all. That's an almost 40-point jump in less than 12 months. Even starker, though, is how practicing Christians and churched adults answered the question. And that's another part of the chart. In 2019, 100% of practicing Christians and churched adults had gone to church within the past six months. So... Practicing Christians, churched adults, 100% are going to church, okay? Six months into the pandemic, 19% and 22% hadn't gone to church at all. In other words, this group down here of practicing Christians and churched adults had not gone to church at all. Please let that sink in. One of five churchgoers have simply stopped attending all forms of church in 2020. The destruction is real. What has taken place is a real thing. And we need to ask, what are we going to do with this new reality? How are we going to process it? we make of it? Well, I think there's several things that we can do, and I'm going to look at a couple of those now. And I've called them blessings. We have learned as a church to adapt to what goes on. And what that means for us is we are capable of doing things we didn't know we could do before. We always like doing things the way we like to do them, but if we have to, we can do them differently. And that's okay. That's okay. We learn to pivot. We've learned to do these things, and we can do them, and we will do them. And here's the other thing, and this is a blessing even though it doesn't sound like it. We are changed. Okay? It's been thrust on us. It's been forced on us. The thing that happened here is that 
the change that took place accelerated trends that had been happening for generations. It all became condensed suddenly because of the situation we're in. And it forces us to ask the question, how can we use this change to do better? How can we use this to do better? Because God sees and knows that we can. We have been doing the tried and true for a long time. Is there a better way? Is there a good way that can work? And the other part of this, the other aspect of this is we have learned that we can adapt. We learned that we can change. That's a good thing. Next thing to look at here is the idea of rethinking church. We need to rethink church. We have had time to think. We have been in isolation for quite some time while the pandemic did its thing. We should have taken that time. I hope we've taken that time. We can still take that time to dig deeply into what our faith is about and who we are as Christians. We need to explore what worship means and how it should impact our lives. Here's the reality, folks. We are not the same congregation today that we were a year ago. We are changed. We have been through something. We've been through it together. It's been traumatic, and it's real. So what is church supposed to be? What is church supposed to be? And what an opportunity this is. Wow. We have an opportunity now to make some big, important changes. One of those changes is to really strongly consider our commitment to Jesus. If you haven't thought about who you are and what your faith means to you, today is a really good time to start. You've had plenty of time in the past, especially in 2020, to do that. But think about what it means to be a Christian. Calvin has talked about this idea of doing a reboot. Wonderful thing. We're going to take care of that. We're going to do that. But part of the story there is that each of us, as people of faith, as Christians, need to be in community. That means that we need to be together at some point, in some way, at some time, almost on a daily basis if it's possible. Why? Why do we need that? Because we, we're not good enough by ourselves. God knows that. God knows that we need each other for the long haul. And I want to talk real specifically to a couple of thoughts that I've uh, heard expressed before. Uh, I've heard people say, well, I'm only going to be here for six months, or I'm only going to be here for three weeks. I'm only going to be here for, you know, just for nine months, because that's how long my job has got me here. Wherever you are, however long you're going to be there, whatever you're doing, it needs to become your church family wherever you are. The family is where you are now. The family is not where you think you're going to be next year or where you might be in a couple of years. But the family is where you are now. And I think we need to act like that. 
I think we need to start recognizing that we need to live in the here and now. And to do that means to be part of something here and now. Be part of the church at this time. It has to do with being committed to the God that you worship. So a couple of more thoughts, corollaries. Things we can do. We like lists of things we can do, right? Get connected. Make the choice to be connected in some way. Help build the community and help build your faith. Our ability to weather tough times depends on our trust in the Creator and our faith in His leading to obedience. When we trust in God and the story He is leading and have faith that He is in control in spite of our inability to see or understand, then we can find a type of happiness that transcends the day, the very events of this day. Calvin, in one of his sermons, and I want to say it was late spring, early summer, talked about the simple idea of just turning to Jesus. Turning to Jesus in all that that means. Exploring, finding out who he is, digging deeper into all of that. It works. It helps. Take the time to do that. It seems simple, but... The community that you enter into, with all its lumps, with all its mistakes, with all its problems, is still going to be a help to you. And that's like a family, isn't it? Like a family. Uh, Decide to be a disciple this year. What does that mean? Well, it means to equip yourself to serve the kingdom purposefully. Remember in Habakkuk, he resolved to let God work and to be joyful about it. We need to be very strong people of faith in times like this. We need to trust God in these times, and we need to be willing to let God lead. We need to do these things. And in order to do these things well, we need to know who God is. We need to continue to pray. We need to study. We need to listen. We need to pray. We need to meditate, and we need to pray again. And God will guide you in tough times like these. And here's what pet peeve. I'm just going to throw this one in. Be kind on social media. I can't tell you how many times churches have been damaged by not doing this simple thing, by forgetting that no matter who you are on social media, you are a Christian and people know it. Be kind. Drop the conspiracy theories. Let go of the politics. Don't pass on information that hasn't been fact-checked. It's easy to do. You have access to ways to do that. Just stop it. (laughs) It's, It's crazy how divisive that can be, how harmful that can be. One of the things that we have learned is that the pandemic forced us all to start using the internet more than we wanted to. It forced us all to have access to a ton of information. Unfortunately, we have no way of knowing what's true about the information that we're viewing unless we stop and do some research. We know a lot of stuff. We have no idea if it's true. 
And unfortunately also, we are blessed in that the people who put the stuff on the internet know that the more times the same information shows up, the more we're likely to believe it. And I am speaking very specifically to conspiracy theorists. There's got to be better things to do than spend your time worrying about conspiracy theories. I just, I just can't believe so many people struggle and believe the wacky things <laughs> that theories like that have to do. Oh my. You know, I can go out and I can make any theory I want add a little thimble of truth to it, make it sound like it could be plausible. In fact, I do that in my storytelling. It's what I do when I write. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I am absolutely against it. Because we struggle to see the truth of so many things because we're not grounded in God as we ought to be. It becomes more of a struggle if we're not close enough to God. Third, fourth thing, I'm sorry. Fourth, fourth thing to do, to do, elevate your theology. And this is kind of a, a trail along after the third one. Your relationship to God and your faith and the church should supersede all politics and ideology. If those things are not as important not much more important to you, then your priorities are wrong. Politics is very transient. Ideologies come and go. Culture is of a moment. God has been, is, and will always be. Make sure you look in the right direction. Push yourself cling to Christ. Be intentional about your study. Practice those simple things like grace, forgiveness, maturity, discipleship, and love. Those should be our hallmarks. 2020 was hard. I hope 2021 is, is better for you. We should, as Christians, boldly seek to thrive in our time whatever that is, not just survive. Let's look again at Habakkuk to close things out here. Or maybe we won't. There we go. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Two other translations. I just like that, the positiveness of that. But in the NET Bible, it says this, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. And we need that agility right now. The message, the paraphrase says, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Wonderful thoughts. And the point of all this is real, real, real simple. 
whatever happens, I will trust in God and his story. I hope 2021 is a blessing to you. I don't know what your needs are. I don't know what you have in mind for things that are going on in your life. But if you have a need and you want a prayer, now is a really good time to come forward. If you're ready to be baptized, we can take care of that. The water is ready as well. Will you stand this morning and sing a song with us?